going to read first the sermon text, Exodus 15, verse 27, and then go on to two other passages and read those. And I hope you see the connection between Exodus 15, verse 27, and those other two passages. First of all, then, the sermon text, Exodus 15, verse 27. And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. From there, we turn to Psalm 23. A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever." From there we turn to Isaiah 35. Passage where Isaiah, looking ahead, prophesies the joyous restoration of Israel. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands, and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. 
and an highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those. The wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Read that last verse of Exodus 15 again. And they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. I wasn't there, but I was told that a couple of Lord's Days ago, we had a visitor in Spokane who identified herself as a Messianic Jew. And if you've never heard of that, that refers to people of a Jewish background who recognize Jesus as the Messiah, who believe that he's the Messiah, but who at the same time try to keep their Jewishness, their Jewish heritage. Now, she was right, of course, in recognizing and believing that Jesus is the Messiah, but she was wrong in trying to maintain her Jewishness as a descendant of Abraham. I mentioned that this evening because I want to remind you that in God's sight, a true Jew is not a physical descendant, but one who believes in Jesus Christ, which means that you and I, though Gentiles by birth, are in God's sight children of Abraham, true Jews. The Word of God says that, I think I've read that before with you, but says that in the last verses of Romans 3, he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. And Paul says very much the same thing in Galatians 3 when he says that we, by faith, are children of Abraham. I mention that 
remind you of that, though I'm sure you know it, because that means that Israel's history is our history. The history of the Jews in the Old Testament is not just history that has a lot of lessons for us. It is our history. Although it's in pictures and in what we call types. Our history. And for the passage that we're looking at this evening, that means that Elam, where Israel encamped after Marah and before the wilderness of sin, means that Elam is a place that we also come to as we make our journey through the wilderness of this world to the promised heavenly land of Canaan. Elam is one of many places visited by Israel that we also visit as part of our pilgrimage to heaven. We don't visit those places geographically as Israel did, but we visit them spiritually. And those places are as real spiritually, as real in our lives as Elam was to the children of Israel on their journey from Egypt to the land of Canaan. Now, Elam is only mentioned here in a few words. There are five, four verses describing Israel's visit to Marah, but just one short visit, one short verse mentioning their visit to Elam. But the very fact that it's mentioned in the Word of God means that it was an important place for them and is also an important place for us in our journey. As children of Israel, from the bondage of sin, from our Egypt to the heavenly land of Canaan. And that's what we want to look at this evening. Elam, for the children of Israel, was the second camp after the Red Sea. They went three days through the wilderness to Marah, and then we don't know how long it took them, but they went from Marah to Elam. 
Elam was not far from the shores of the Red Sea, but if you can picture a map of that area or have a map in the back of your Bible, it's down the west side of the Sinai Peninsula and along the shores of the Red Sea, between the place where Israel crossed the Red Sea and Mount Sinai. Elam was an oasis in the desert. In fact, if we can trust the historical records, it still is an oasis there. And Israel must have spent quite some time there because it was after a month and a half, month and a half from the Red Sea, that they came to their next camp. So they may have spent as much as a month, perhaps five or six weeks there at Elam, resting, being refreshed, getting ready for their journey to Mount Sinai and then through the rest of the wilderness. The Word of God tells us that when they came to Elam, they discovered there 12 wells and 70 palm trees. That, in fact, is the only thing we know about Elam. But those numbers are surprising. 12 wells? We can't help but think in that connection of the fact that there were 12 tribes. And the 70 palm trees make us think of the fact that Israel in the wilderness, under the leadership of Moses, was governed by 70 elders. Don't want to attach too much significance to that, but it certainly, here in the Word of God, is God's way of saying that that oasis there in the wilderness, under his providential care for his people, was prepared especially for them. There were 70 wells or 70 palm trees and 12 wells at Elam because God was bringing his people to that place, a place that he had specially prepared for them. That was Elam for Israel in the Old Testament. Elam for us is a spiritual place. And that's why I read this evening Psalm 23, and then, of course, Isaiah 35. 
Psalm 23, especially in verses 2 and 3, is talking, perhaps even thinking back to Israel's history in the wilderness, but is describing what Elam is for us. When having identified the Lord as our shepherd, our Moses, if you will, the Word of God says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. And emphasizing the fact that that's a spiritual reality, the Word of God says, He restoreth my soul. That's Elam for you and for me. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Isaiah 35 is talking about the same thing. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. And then again, emphasizing the fact that this is a spiritual reality, the Word of God adds, they shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God, and emphasizing the importance of Elam. Isaiah 35 is describing our Elam. It adds, strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance even God with a recompense, and he will come and save you. As we make our way through the spiritual wilderness of this world, Elam is that place where we find in the God of our salvation and in his saving grace something of that peace that passes understanding, where we taste something of God's goodness and of his fatherly care for us. It's that place where we find rest, spiritual rest for our souls. And when we think of Elam in those terms, then there are all kinds of passages of the Word of God that come to mind. You could think, for example, in connection with this verse from Exodus 15, 
of what Jesus says in Matthew 11. Those wonderful words in which he identifies himself as the rest giver. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Coming to our Elam, we find Jesus there, crucified, risen again, ascended into heaven, crowned with glory and honor as God's right hand, as our rest giver. And as Moses led Israel to Egypt, he's the one who brings us there as well. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You could almost say that Elam is another name for our Savior as the rest giver. Take my yoke upon you, he says, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You could think, and there are so many passages, we don't have time to look at them all this evening. That would take all the time we have and more. But you can think of, in connection with Exodus 15, verse 7, of what Revelation 7 promises. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. That's Elam in its final revelation in heaven, when we find eternal rest for our souls and God's peace in a way that we've never found it before in heavenly glory. But Elam belongs to our pilgrimage through this world as well and is the name for those times or places in our lives. When we taste something of the joy of salvation, of the sweetness of Christ and find in him real spiritual rest from the burden and guilt of our sins. That's our Elam. And Christ is there. He's everything at Elam. 
as those 12 wells and 70 palm trees must have been everything to Israel after those first weeks in the desert. Now you can understand, I think, having said all that, how important Elam is and why it's mentioned in the Word of God. Very briefly, but mentioned nonetheless, Elam is a reminder as part of Israel's history that our journey, or that Israel's journey through the wilderness was not all sin, rebellion, murmuring, complaining, chastisement, suffering, but that in the mercy and loving kindness of God, he made sure, even in those Old Testament days, that their journey through the wilderness had places such as Elam, places where they could rest and be refreshed and be ready again to go on through the difficulties of their wilderness journey. Important? Important indeed, and equally important for us, isn't it? That our journey through this world is not all trials, all suffering, all affliction, all murmuring and complaining and sin and chastisement. But that we too have our elims along the way. How important In that daily struggle with our sins and sinful nature, we talked about that a little this morning, how important that at times in that journey through the wilderness of this world where there's no refreshment, no peace for our souls, no comfort in the words and wisdom of men, no help in men or in their wisdom. How important that we have those times where we catch, as it were, a glimpse of the glory of Christ. and find real rest in Christ. All too often, of course, we're like the Israelites, struggling on, hardly thinking of where we're going and of why we're there in the wilderness, forgetting that it's God who leads us and guides us 
that he's the God of our salvation, a God of tender mercies and loving kindness. Sit here even in church under the preaching of the gospel from Lord's Day to Lord's Day and see so little of the glory of Christ that we sometimes go away from God's house as troubled as we came, as fearful and struggling as we first came. And those Elams where we see Christ in all of his glory, first as the crucified one, and then also as the one who's risen and exalted as the rest giver. Catch a glimpse, as it were, of the power and value of his shed blood and realize, really see, that his blood is sufficient for all of our sins, and an atonement for all the evil that we've done. Come unto me, he says, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, troubled by our sins, weary with the struggle against sin. We see him in his glory as the Son of God, the one made like us in everything but sin, and find, as Israel did at Elam, a few moments, as it were, of peace and rest for our souls. Elam's important then, and that's why it's mentioned here in the Word of God. It's important because it seems, I think that's true especially as we get older, that life is is almost all trials. And that as soon as we're finished with one trial, God has another one ready for us. That we go from the shores of the Red Sea to the perils of the wilderness. And from the perils of the wilderness to those places where it seems that there's no food for our souls and no refreshment for our souls. And from there to those places where we have to fight those who would destroy our faith and our hope in Christ. Peter talks about that when he describes the righteous as being scarcely saved. He's not talking about things from the viewpoint of God's sovereign grace, of course, but he's looking at things from our own viewpoint. And from the fact that it so often seems to us as though we are not 
going to make it through the troubles, through the trials of this present earthly life. That it's all too much and impossible to go on. It's not always that way, of course. And when it's not that way, when our faith is strong, when we're able to say in our trials, all things work together for good. This is the hand of God in my life who loves me and who in his fatherly love for me has designed all things perfectly and eternally for my salvation. Then we're at Elam. And how important that is in those times of trial. Elam is important for those of us who are older and facing the reality of death and dying. That happens as you get older. You can't avoid it anymore. Avoid thinking of those things and thinking especially of the fact that you too must depart this life in order to go and to be with Jesus. And of all that that means, as far as family and loved ones and church and all of the rest are concerned. And so death becomes often for God's people a time of difficult spiritual struggle. And they have to find their Elam at such times as that. The peace of knowing that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we do not walk there alone. The comfort of knowing that in death as well as in life, we belong to a faithful Savior who will never leave us or forsake us. And when having wondered, worried, been afraid, of death and dying, we find our peace in the God of our salvation and in his promises, then we are at Elam. But that leaves the question, a question that Perhaps some of you are asking or saying, I'm certainly not there now. I'm out in the wilderness somewhere, seem to be lost in the wilderness, worried. Afraid, 
And I need to be at Elam. I read in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. But when? When? Will I get there? I know that he's promised me everlasting peace and blessedness in heaven. That that's my Elam of Elams. But where now? You have some of that in the Psalms. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, the psalmist says, that I might fly far away and find my rest. And he was obviously, at that point in his spiritual pilgrimage, far from Elam. My soul is bowed down within within me. O my soul, why art thou troubled and distressed within me? Hope thou in God, the God of thy salvation. But in all of those passages of the Word of God, you have examples of God's people far from Elah, perhaps still at Marah, the place of trial, bitter trial, such trials as, as led to complaining and murmuring on their part. How do I find my way to Elam? And there are different answers to that question. We have to remember Would we ask that kind of question? That the Lord's day is the Sabbath, the day of rest. And though we don't always find rest for our souls on the Lord's day, it's on that day among God's people and in God's house that we ought to seek the rest that our souls need. Rest in the Word of God. Rest in the promises of His Word. And sometimes, too, on the Lord's Day, perhaps we're singing a psalm and we catch a glimpse of Elam. Find ourselves there. Maybe you're singing a psalm like Like Psalm 29. And as you sing it, the words of the psalm take hold of you. 
and you sing them with all your heart and soul, making those words your own. My soul in death's dark pit shall not be left by thee. Corruption thou wilt not permit thy holy one to see. Life's pathway thou wilt show, to thy right hand wilt guide, where streams of pleasure ever flow and boundless joys abide. You sing those words and you say, yes, that's it. That's everything. And you find yourself for a few moments at Elam. Sometimes that happens through the preaching of the word. For one reason or another, the passage that the minister's chosen and the sermon he preaches touches us. As we're not often touched by the word of God takes hold of us. And we see in the preaching of the gospel the glory of God and the wonder of Christ's work and taste something of the joy of salvation instead of sitting as we all too often do under the preaching of the gospel, unmoved, sometimes even hoping that the service will soon be over. Then we're at Elam. Because of our weakness and sin, it's not a place to which we come frequently. But because God is good, A God full of loving kindness and tender mercies. He does bring us from time to time to that spiritual place that's called here in the Word of God, Elam. It's with Elam in mind that in our homes we open the Word of God, and pray together. Doesn't always happen. Sometimes we're in too much of a hurry. Sometimes we hardly pay attention to the words of the prayer or the words of Scripture. But there are times when the Word is read and the family discusses the Word together and prays together that the whole family comes to Elam and finds it a good place and a place of spiritual rest and blessing, of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. There are those times, aren't there? And they're important. But the most important thing of all in finding our way to Elam is hearing the words of Christ in Matthew 11, Come unto me, 
all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When we in faith, because that's what coming to Christ is, when we in faith do come to him, whether it be under the preaching of the gospel or on other occasions, when through prayer and the word of God, we come to him. Not just to a book, but to him. Not just to heaven in prayer, but to him the revelation of the God of our salvation. And we find that he is our peace and that there is rest for our weary, troubled souls in him. Do we not? And that's the reason, too, why when the Word is preached on the Lord's Day, or even when it's read in our own homes, the preaching of the Word must focus on Him. And in our own homes, the focus, too, must be on His glory and on His saving work. Never, never, when we read the Word of God with our families, may we read it just as interesting and even instructive stories, but of God's revelation of Himself as the God of our salvation in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when we study the Word, then we study it not only to understand what a particular passage means, but study it to find Christ there and to catch, as it were, another glimpse of His loveliness, the one who's fairer than 10,000. Study it so that we can say with the writer of the Song of Solomon, my beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousand. His head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of water, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies, dripping dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. That's Elam. Christ at Elam. The rest giver. The one who is our peace, or who, as David said, is all my joy and all my salvation.
That's the most important thing of all. And I trust, my dear friends, I trust that you know and recognize the place. Pray that you're often there in your trials and your struggles as you make your way through the wilderness of this world and finally across the Jordan into the heavenly land of Canaan. Did you find Elam along the way? But I assure you too, the Word of God assures you, not me, That when finally your pilgrimage through this world is finished, you will find that those places of rest provided by God in His loving kindness towards you, those places that are called Elam in the Word of God, are only a shadow of something far, far better what we read of in Revelation 7. Remember it? Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. That's Elam indeed. Amen. Heavenly Father, our gracious God, we thank Thee for all that Thou dost provide. We trust that our trials and all the sufferings of this present time are used for our good. But we thank Thee, too, that there is a rest along the way. We pray, Father, that we may find that rest each Lord's Day, and all our life in this world until finally we find eternal rest in Christ our Savior, in His everlasting arms. Forgive us the sins we have committed in speaking of these things. Lead us and bring us to rest in Him, whose name we confess and in whom we believe. In Jesus' name, amen.